We're going to be over in the book of Galatians here today. We're picking up where we had left off way back at the end of April. We kind of got sidetracked on some things to, uh, to uh, help us with what we were facing. But this goes, last time we were on this particular topic was April the 24th. So if you want to go back sometime this week and take a look at some of the ones that we're doing. We were looking at the Peacemaker, which we kind of branched off on a little bit. There were some questions in regarding to the the mature aspect of peace. And so we uh, got off into a Peacemaker. The last one we were looking at was the Strife-Generating strife People. And how many of you who are still familiar with Strife-Generating People in your life? For Jesus, it was Mary and Martha when Lazarus died. And we took a look at the, the things that were going on there. Mary was a woman of faith. Martha was a woman of service. But both fell apart under pressure and added to the strife, not the peace of the situation. If you are not adding to peace to a situation, more than likely, you are adding strife. You may not be aware of it. You may not think you are. You may see the strife coming from other people. But if you are not an active peacemaker, more than likely, you are bringing strife into your situations. You just can't tell. Sometimes you'll, you'll notice this with people. Surely nobody in here, or nobody that you, that you know, but you know people in other states, in other churches, <laughs> in other places you go to. You can run into people and... You, you just kind of want to walk up to them and say, uh, you know, you need to take a shower. Have you ever wanted to do that to somebody? Just walk up to them and let them know, yeah, you need to take a shower. Did you, did you know that? Because, I mean, you can smell them in the aisle over. But sometimes you can get so used to your own stink that you don't realize that you do. And, some, and with Christians, we can do this. We can get so used to our own stink and what we add in strife that we don't even think we're bringing anything to the table. But we need to be aware. We're going to show you some things to help you out with this. We're going to show you how not to become a Mary or Martha in a stress situation. Now we see what Jesus did last, uh, last I say last time a month ago. (laughs) Jesus was accused by people who didn't see the whole picture. Most times you are accused by people, it's because they don't see the whole picture. Their view was point was only what matters to me. Or us as a group. What I would lose and what I see is important. They confessed him to be Messiah. Mary and Martha confessed him to be Messiah. But they were very focused on what affected us. And that was my brother was sick and he died and you weren't here. Many people still confess Jesus to be Messiah. They confess him to be greater than they are. But their thoughts and their actions are less than they say. If you truly believe that Jesus is the Messiah, if you truly believe He is the Son of God, you cannot disregard Him and the things that He says. I heard I was listening to somebody. I think of who, who it was. They were talking about, uh, I think it was uh, Keith Moore. I was listening to Keith Moore. And I think he was teaching on some something. No, it wasn't. 
Again, I was listening to too many people. Brother Hagen, he was, I was listening to his series, The Name of Jesus. How many have listened to The Name of Jesus series? I was listening to The Name of Jesus series that he did. It's been a little while since I have uh, gone through that one, so I just pulled it up and I was listening to it. And I think either the third or the fourth one he was getting in there, he made this statement. It was a long time ago. You know, The Name of Jesus was a long time ago. He taught that series. But he was saying, if you disregard what the Word says about how to live, you cannot say that Jesus is Lord. He was real strong about it. I wish I could remember exactly how he said it, but it was right along those lines. And I thought, well, yeah, that's about right. Because what happens is you've become Lord and you have decided what you can and can't do instead of Him. Don't live that way. Don't want to do those kind of things. So we saw that Jesus, first off, He stayed focused on the Father's purpose. And we gave you all this in an acronym that if you want to, go back to the 24th, April 24th and pull up the outline or go through it. You can, you can see it all. He bypassed their flesh statements. He was looking for information. Why weren't... Uh, they, they bypassed their... Um, they, were, they were in the flesh. Why weren't you here? This is what they're basically asking. He's trying to bypass those statements and get information. He operates by the Father's light, not other people's expectations. He maintained a spiritual outlook and didn't let his feelings get hurt or operate by them. And he did not try to teach principles that wouldn't be heard. Many times, folks, we're trying to teach people things they're not ready to hear. They're in a place of strife. They're in a place of stress. And they need to hear it. They need to learn it, but they're not in a place to. Don't try and teach them. Jesus does not try and teach Mary and Martha how they should have responded with Lazarus. He doesn't do it. You've got to be careful that you don't do the same thing. So let's um, turn over here to Galatians chapter 2. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up to again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them the, that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus was who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because a false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty with which we have in Christ Jesus that we might bring, they might bring us into bondage to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. You may not be aware of this, but there are people who sneak in to churches. There are people who sneak in amongst believers, pass themselves off as believers, pass themselves off as people of faith, but they are not. They say all the right things, but they don't live the right life. Their purpose is to bring you into bondage. Now, how are they going to do it? They're patient. They're very patient. They will come in and they will do all the things necessary to win your confidence. And then they start to bring in some things to, to bring you into bondage. And he's saying, we saw it. We didn't yield submission to him. Not a bit. We didn't, we didn't give in to that. You'll see this even sometimes with some of the teachers, that are things that have come out with teachers in schools, especially down in Florida. When they passed that law, of course, they wanted to rename the law. That law didn't need to be renamed at all. The name simply meant that you as a teacher can't teach my third-year-old second or third grader, second grader, first grader, 
things you want to do in, uh, in the area of uh, certain kinds of education. You can't do that. And so they say, no. They tried to call the law something else, but then got a whole lot of teachers up in arms. Apparently, they wanted to teach that sort of stuff to your first graders, your second graders, and your third graders. Otherwise, they wouldn't have got so upset. If they weren't doing it, if the law didn't have any bearing, they wouldn't have gotten upset over the thing. See, they sneak in, and they want to be able to do things without you knowing it. But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. Now, if, if you haven't been around here for a little while, you don't know this, this uh, background on this. There are basically two authorities in the, in the Christian church in the New Testament. There are two. One comes out of Jerusalem and the other comes out of Antioch. These were the two, two uh, capital areas. This is where everything came from. Paul is very clear to let people know, I am not of Jerusalem. And he does, and you just listen to the things he says, he doesn't disrespect them, but he does not care not too much about their opinion. I'm not of Jerusalem. Those guys, they do what they want. I'm of Antioch. They're the ones who believed in me. They're the ones who didn't try and kill me. They're the ones I didn't have to get let down on a wall to escape. They're not the ones who keep chasing after me every meeting I go and try and stir up people. Uh Uh-uh. I am not of Jerusalem. I'm of Antioch. And so he gets down into the Jerusalem area or the people that come from Jerusalem and, well, to somebody, they're important. Uh, not me. <laughs> That's basically what he's saying. Because they're of the other, the other group. Now, James is of the Church of Jerusalem. I'm not saying that the Church of Jerusalem is bad and the Church of Antioch is good. The Church of Antioch is considered to be the, uh, the, the main one for the Gentiles, Jerusalem for the Jews. So that's where we were we were at with these. So, where do we leave off at? Verse, I thought we were up to, Rome 7? I thought we were up to there. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised, also worked effectively to me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived that grace that had been given to me. They also gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. <coughs> they desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which we were eager to do. Now, if you want to do any other looking up on this, this time that he refers to is probably, uh, when he says after 14 years, this is probably talking about the account in Acts chapter 15 more so than the one in Acts chapter 11. That's the, the meeting that he's referring to here. They don't necessarily go up to get their approval, but they go up to explain what things are going on. Now, while this, this private meeting was going on, some came in. They were false brethren. They came in by stealth. They came in to, to, to spy out what was going on. They were secretly brought in to find out where are your liberties and how can we take them away. It doesn't just happen in the church area. We're staying in our country right now. There's people that are trying to take away liberties. And come on in and rewrite certain things. Now, there's a whole lot of people who don't like how our Constitution was written. Now, that's all fine. But if you want to change it, you need to get out. That's our Constitution. That's how it was written. If you want to change it, go to a country who has a Constitution you like better. Don't be changing it on the, on the people that are here. But they try and reword things. They try and reword the First Amendment. Well, what does freedom of speech really mean? They try and reword the Second Amendment. Well, you can have a gun only if we approve it. That's wrong. 
You can have a gun if you want one. It doesn't matter whether the state approved it or not. But while well, see certain people are, are going nuts like the guy down in Texas, they're going nuts because we've taken morality out of the country, not because there's guns in the country. There were guns in the hands of people for a long, long hundreds of years. And until we took morality out of our schools, until we took morality out of the, the things we expect out of people, we didn't have any, any of those problems with it. But that's what, you, that's what you get. They're blaming the wrong thing, and then they're trying to tell you we've got to take away some of your freedoms. You find this first politician who will take away guns from their guards to keep themselves safely. You find the first politician who will take the walls down for their house. Well, they tell you, so you don't have any, you don't have any walls for your, for your country. But it's not just in the church they're trying to take freedom. They're trying to take freedom from, from all kinds of places. Now, how do we protect ourselves against these folks? First of all, I believe I left these written in your outline because they were important. I've given you these being things before. They're not brand new. First of all, know they exist. You have got to know there are people that will try and undermine your liberty in God. Know they exist. Second, compare every teaching principle and such to the Word of God. Not to tradition. Make sure you've got the Word of God on it more than just one scripture. And here's the third one. This is important. Love the truth more than anything. Sometimes we substitute our loves and, we, well, I like this a little bit more. So I'm going to go after that. Verse 11. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. Now, here's where we get to the crux of it. All that was just background. When Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. We're talking about peacemakers. And Paul is acting as a peacemaker by confronting Peter. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. So what he's describing here is that Peter had come to Antioch, and when he came to Antioch, he didn't feel any pressure. He was out there hanging around with the people. You know, and just uh, just enjoying himself. It's kind of like when you were in school. You were in school. You know, they had to. If you had a table, a, a seat at the cool table, and that's where you were expected to be was the cool. I was never at the cool table. You got a seat at the cool table. Well, if you come on in, and some people from the uncool table want to call you on over, and you come over there and start talking with them or sitting with them, and then the people from the cool table start coming in on the cafeteria. Well, you know, we had to. We'd have to move. I can't stay over here by the uncool people because they'll see me as, you know, why are you hanging out with them? You don't want to necessarily do that. You don't want to have that, uh, that no. So you got to get yourself up and move. I may enjoy these people at this particular table, but um, these people over here are going to think of me as uncool. So that's the pressure that Peter was, was feeling under. Here come the cool people from Jerusalem. And all of a sudden he's eating with the uncool people, the uncircumcised. The Gentiles, well, we can't have that. So when these folks came on, he began to change his behavior. Let me read that over again. When Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas 
was carried away with their hypocrisy. This is after Peter had been there for a while. We're not talking about something that happened in a day. This is Peter had been there for a while. He established a pattern of behavior. This is the, this is the way that he was going to go. This is the, when you're growing up and you're a kid, how many of y'all know there's a pattern of behavior that you have at the dinner table? Every house is a little bit different, but there's a pattern of behavior that you have. This is the way that we go. This is the thing we do. I'm just going to take this off just in case this is causing any problems. I don't know that it would be, but it's warm for me anyway. But Peter had come on in. He established himself a pattern of behavior. He knew down in his spirit, he's following the peace of God. He knew that down in his spirit, coming into this group, I can sit with the uncool people by Jerusalem standards. I can sit with the people that are uncircumcised. And down in his spirit, he's feeling good about this. He's not having a problem. He's establishing a behavior. Paul is sitting amongst them. Peter and Paul may have even sat at the same place, the same table, talked about doctrine, talked about the things of the word, had a good time. But then certain people came in. They were sent from James. They were sent from Jerusalem. Then their presence, just their presence being there, Paul's watching this. He's observing. And he says, Paul is, is, is watching Peter. He's not sitting with us anymore. Now, just because that happened one time, that's not going to tell you anything. This is why you know it was over a couple of days. So, he comes in the first time. Well, you know, he just knows those guys. He just went on over there and sat with them. But then all of a sudden, he's not sitting with them anymore. And you can kind of tell that he doesn't want to be sitting with them anymore. And he doesn't want it to even be known that he was sitting with them anymore. He wants that, wants that kept away. And so, he's just hanging out with the, with the other ones. The reason given for the change in Peter was fear. He was afraid of what they would do. Now, then others began to follow Peter's example. Peter began to set this. He moves, and other people, who were obviously Jews, they began to move too. And they sat on over here. And then Paul's, Paul's watching this. And he's watching this group was all integrated. And now all of a sudden, they're not. Now this group is sitting over here and this group is sitting over here. Now how many of you, if you saw Paul as the spiritual leader in this group, think Paul should have addressed something? Why doesn't Paul address it yet? This will tell you something about this story. This will tell you something about how you're supposed to live this out. Paul has not addressed this yet. Paul is watching all this go on. We could have nipped this a whole lot sooner if Paul would have taken Peter aside privately and said, Peter, is there a reason that you have suddenly not, not hanging out with the Gentile people, that we're not eating with the Gentile people, that you're over there, is there a reason for it? And they could have hashed it out. And Peter said, you know what? I, I didn't even realize I was doing that. Uh, I need to fix it. And he could have taken care of it and we would have gone on and this wouldn't have been a problem. That is not what God had in mind. Now, why do people follow such behavior? Why, how is it that people can start out doing something good and then fall into a bad behavior? How is it that someone like Barnabas, Barnabas is a mature person. This is a person that God has used. God has used him mightily. Miracles have gone on. He's, he was out there on the missionary team with Paul. He was well respected before Paul came onto the scene. How does someone like Barnabas 
get pulled into this? Well, sometimes they'll, they'll, they'll do this. I thought this was wrong, but since Peter is doing it, it must be okay. See, sometimes we've got to realize this, that there are Christians out there watching your behavior. And if they see you do something, well, this must be okay. If they see you cuss, well, I guess I'd have thought it was wrong to cuss. Apparently, it's not wrong to cuss. Brother, sister, so-and-so is, so I guess I can. If they say you go into an establishment that they thought, well, I didn't think we were supposed to go into those establishments. I didn't think we were supposed to go there. And then there you are going in. Well, that's going to tell them, well, I guess I can go that direction. This is how some people will, will do it. That's why we've got to be careful of the kind of actions, the kind of things that we do. Some of them might say, I always wanted to behave this way, but I thought I was alone. I thought I was the only Christian who wanted to live like this. They're so-and-so, they're living like that, I guess I can go ahead. Some might even say, well, does it even matter how we live? I mean, as long as I believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior, as long as I show up at church every now and then, does it really matter how we live? Well, I thought this was wrong. But Peter, he's more mature than I am. He doesn't think so. It is easier to follow bad behavior than to set the direction for good. That is, a, that is an easier direction to go. Ever watch truck drivers go? Truck drivers like to drive in what's called a convoy. Anybody know the reason for that? It's called drafting. See, if you got the truck in the lead, they're breaking the air. And they cause a draft. And if you've ever been uh, had a, a truck pass you, you know that when they go past, there's a suction that goes. And if you stand too close to it, you can get pulled off into the street. If they're, if they're going fast enough, they've been, been around that, you can, you can see that. So what they do is to try and get that to play and help them. And so the first truck takes the lead, and then the other ones come in behind, and they, they follow that draft, and they get kind of sucked into the, the path. So you switch out to who's ever in the, in the front. That's why the, um, you know, the, the ducks, when they, when they fly, they fly in that V. They're drafting. They're taking, a, uh, taking advantage of that. The lead duck is out there in front. He's taking the, the, the headwind, and then he'll stay there for a little while, and then he'll fall back, and somebody else will come on up. Uh, I saw a scientific study. They were studying some of these things about the ducks. Have you ever noticed that if you watch the ducks up in the, up in the sky, that when they have that V going on, that one side is longer than the other? You know why that is? They did some scientific studies, spent some government money to figure out how to do this, but they... <laughs> They found out that the reason is there's more ducks on one side. In case you're ever wondering, that is the reason. See, it's easier to follow bad behavior than it is to set a good direction. If you're going to be that lead truck, if you're going to be that lead duck, you're taking all of the wind. It's easier to follow than it is to set that. That's that, that'll wear you out. If you're going to be a leader in the church, you've got to be willing to take that lead spot. You're going to, you're going to be going alone there for, for some times. Eventually, some people will get in behind you. Now, what can cause us to change our behavior from something good to something bad? How is it that someone like Barnabas, how is it that the people in the church, how is it someone like Peter can take behavior that was good and become something that is bad? 
How do we do that? Well, first off, fear. It's already been listed. Fear is one way that we do that. I'm afraid of something. Second one is pressure. Pressure from people. Pressure from situations. Pressure can make you change. Desire. If you desire something that is evil, something that is bad, then you will pursue that. And the fourth one was guilt. Guilt will pull you in. Now, how about from something bad to something good? Well, opposite of fear is love. Love will pull you into something good. Fall in love with God. You'll go after His things. The reason the people in the church do not pursue the things that God says are important is because they do not love Him enough. They love something else more. I'm not saying they don't love Him at all. They do. They just love something else more. It's like the rich young ruler. He loved God. He loved the things of God. He just loved other things more. Not many. But one or two things had the head to head's position. And as long as they weren't threatened, he stayed. Love. Wisdom. Instead of giving in to pressure, follow after wisdom. Desire for good things instead of desire for bad things. Finally, belief. The things that you believe in. The things that, are, that shape your actions. That's how you can turn something bad into something good. Change your beliefs. Now here, look at verse 14. These are the important verses. These are the ones you really got to see. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all. Now before we read this, I want you to understand this. Paul starts out, what is the reason that he's addressing Peter? What is the reason? The reason is because he acted one way before the Jews came. And when the Jews came, he acted differently. He wouldn't associate with these folks over here. And now he's, he's uh, only eating at the cool table. That's, that's what he brought up, right? Now look at what he says to Peter. This is what he addressed him with face to face. If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature are not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. But look at what he says. Here's the issue. This is the issue he's bringing up. If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? Does he address who's sitting at the cool table? How is it that the problem can be where he's eating and who he's associating with? And the problem he addresses him with is, if you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? The issue that he confronts him with is a bigger issue than the issue that he described Peter falling into. Why is that? Now he addresses Peter in front of them, in front of them all. Other people beside Peter were involved in this. He didn't address Barnabas. He didn't address the uh, the other Christians that were there. Basically, what he's saying to this is, is this. If you were here last week, you'll, this will, uh, this will ring true for you. 
He's basically saying to Peter, why are you here? Why are you living this way? Why are you doing it? Now the problem was with them. Right? When he saw they were doing this. But he he said to Peter before them all. He says it to him, but the problem was with them. So all the Jews were guilty. So the confrontation to Peter here was for the benefit of all, not the disgrace of Peter. Some Christians haven't learned that. They're out to disgrace people. And they see somebody in sin, they see somebody doing something that's not good, they're out to disgrace them. Paul points out Peter's behavior as different from his values, not his character from a Christian. He doesn't ever come up to him and say, Peter, how are you even saved? Do you really love God? He doesn't challenge any of those things at all. What he challenges is what he's doing. And basically what he's leaving other people into. Now, going back to the question, why doesn't Paul address this sooner? Why not take this up sooner? Now, I made this note. It's not, I don't believe it's in yours, but I can see behaviors in actions, but character is demonstrated in lifestyle. You can see behaviors in actions. That's all I can see. If I see your action, I can see your behavior. That's all. I cannot see your character. Your character is demonstrated in your lifestyle. And in order for me to have any idea what that is, I have to get involved in your lifestyle, not just see a few actions. There's a whole lot of people out there, they see a few actions, they want to make a judgment on your lifestyle. That is telling you right there, they're not of God. That's not how God does it. That's not how God confronts. I can have some behaviors that are wrong. But it doesn't mean my character is, is completely bad. Might be some things I have to, have to work on. It's alright, we all do. As we said, Paul, he's describing the things that took days for this and he didn't first jump on it. If Paul would have addressed this matter with Peter privately at the beginning, you would never have seen this become the issue that it was. It became an issue and they sent people to Jerusalem to discuss it. They brought it to the forefront. Sometimes it is important as a peacemaker that you not jump on every problem as soon as you see it. Sometimes you need to let it develop. And to see if you're following your spirit, your spirit is telling Paul, hold up. Don't jump in on this. Let it develop. Let it come out. Once it comes out, everything will be at the surface and you can deal with it easily. That's what we have to have to do. I was reading a story just because I like these kind of history stories and, and things like that. They had just discovered a submarine that had sunk, I think, um, 50, 60 years ago, something like that. It was a long time ago and they finally found it and they, they were able to bring it up. There was some mystery as to um, uh, some of the things that had gone on with it. But apparently what happened that caused this submarine to sink was um, it had taken an unexplained dive and it was only rated for a dive of around 400 feet. 
900 feet was its max. 900 feet, would, it would get crushed. This particular, there's an older, older sub. This particular one, that was the most it was due. And it was actually involved in some surveillance work. And so all of a sudden, it's going along, and it drops suddenly down to 800 feet. What they did was they were, they were able to inflate some of the ballasts and get that ship to rise, but they don't have a whole lot of control over it right now. And so it just rises straight up. The unfortunate thing was the submarine rose straight up directly in the path of a destroyer. The destroyer had no, no recourse, no way to stop, no way to turn, no way to do anything, and hit the sub, split in two. Some of the crew members died in the thing, and uh, uh, a, a lot of them uh, were, were rescued and were saved, and they did okay. But when a submarine is under the water, it's hard to find, and it's hard to, to destroy but when it's up there at the surface, you can take care of it. When we have things that are going on in the body of Christ, and we have things that are going on in my life, when they're down under the surface, it's hard for me to deal with them. But what, what Paul is doing here is he has allowed this thing to come to the surface. And by not addressing Peter right away, all the people who would follow and had that in them would go. And he's even watching Barnabas. He made, made me think, I didn't think Barnabas was going to get into this. But he's observing it. He's watching it. He's waiting for the time. And when the time is there, he addresses it with the words that God gave him to do, which didn't really seem to tackle the main problem because it was taking on something bigger. And now we've got to go to Jerusalem. Settle this thing. If Paul waited, I wonder if Acts 15 would have even occurred. If it did occur, and it happened later, would have been dealt with with people who are more influenced by tradition than the Spirit. Or the word. Now just because there is a controversy doesn't mean you can't find God. God can be in controversy. Look at the life of Jesus. Didn't he stir up some controversies? Healing on the Sabbath. How would that go over? It stirred up some things. It brought some things to the surface. Forgiving people of their sins. Well, that brought up some things. He had some teaching that shook people to their very core. He exposed hypocrisy, wrong motivations. He was not afraid of controversy. He knew that in controversy, things come to the surface. And once they come to the surface, we can then deal with them. And then he dealt with them. Sometimes, without waiting for things to become an issue, the needed change won't come about either. You have to let what is evil and not of God come comfortably to the surface. Let it come. Let it, it's coming. And God will tell you, it's, it's, it's brewing. It's coming up. Just let it come up. Let it come up. Because up until then, you're going to have to accuse people of things that they'll deny. But once that comes to the surface, they can't deny it. And now you don't have to accuse, you just point it out. That's what, what Paul did with Peter. Because attitudes that are exposed are easier to correct. So Paul brings them back to faith. As it was, they had departed from faith. But they hadn't realized it. He brought them back to it. Now just because you see an action like Peter, doesn't mean you are the one to be the Paul. God may not have given you the wisdom on what to do with this thing. 
Bold actions like Paul. I put this in your outline for you. Make sure you got it. Bold actions like Paul's or saying straightforward things without the love of Paul or the purpose of God, purpose that God gave to him, just makes you mean and uncaring. How many times you're a Christian say this? Well, I saw what they were doing and I told them. I said it to them. They may not change. They may not do anything. But I told them. Yeah, you were, you were harsh and you were mean. You weren't loving. Paul dealt with this in a good way. Apparently, Peter still thought pretty highly of Paul. Because he wrote some really nice things about him later on. A peacemaker needs to be stern without being harsh. If you cannot be stern without being harsh, you're not ready to step into that role. They're guided by principles, not emotions. They're promoting the things of God, not the things of self. They say what's needed, not what you need to say. Christians like to do that. Well, I just need to say this. No, you don't. You want to. There's a difference. They're guided by principles, not emotions. If you're going to be a peacemaker, you've got to be guided by principles, not let your emotions get involved. Not saying you can't have emotions, you can't be guided by them. You've got to be promoting the things of God, not the things of self. Many times Christians feel so passionate about the things they see and the things they want that they begin to see God in it. And pretty soon, if you're not doing this, then you're not on the side of God. Want an example of that? If you don't stop healing people on the Sabbath, you're not of God. If you don't start washing your hands before you eat, you're not of God. These are things they picked on Jesus for. You can see this with parents. Parents who judge without listening generate strife and resentment, not godly peace. You're not a peacemaker. You're addressing issues, but you're not addressing them in such a way as to bring peace. You need to listen. Parents who judge without listening generate strife and resentment, not godly peace. They sacrifice long-term peace for short-term quiet. Bosses will do the same thing, but suppression is not peacemaking. In Colossians 3.15, it reads this way. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you also were called in one body. And be thankful. The Amplified reads it this way. Let the peace of Christ, the inner calm of one who walks daily with Him, be the controlling factor in your hearts, deciding and settling questions that arise. To this peace indeed you were called as members in one body of believers and be thankful to God always. Well, we've uh, told you before that phrase there, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, actually means let the peace of God be the umpire. You decide yes or no based on the peace of God. Now what happened here in Antioch was the peace of God led them into a pattern of behavior. Peter was out there. He had come from Jerusalem. He had eaten with the Jewish people. They had done a lot of the ceremonial things, but then he comes to Antioch and they're not doing that. But in his spirit, he feels this is okay. I feel at peace going in this direction and sitting down and uh, eating at the table with the Gentiles, not following some of the ceremony that we had done before. He felt the peace of God with it. 
Others came in, that pattern was altered. Fear entered about what those who came in might think. What are they going to say to James when they go back? Did you know what Peter is doing? Oh. See, the peace of God was no longer the empire. Empire Fear took its spot. And that's what's been moving them. And a rebuke and a correction was necessary. They were going in the way of peace until something disrupted them. You likely have gone this way too. You followed after the way of peace and then something came along and disrupted. Something came along and messed it up. How do you handle the disruption? Does it lead you out of the peace or do you stay the course? When that disruption comes along, when those when your people from Jerusalem come and see what you're doing, does it cause you to, to do something? To change what you're doing? You're not being led by the peace anymore. That suddenly the peace of God say, oh no, that's not good anymore. We switched. We followed after something else. How do you handle the disruptor? How do you handle the force that came into your life that began to disrupt things? Do you see disruptors as evil? Could they be a Peter or a Barnabas? There could be a disruptor that's coming around. They may be a Peter. They may be a Barnabas. They may just be following after the wrong thing. But they're still a good person. Barnabas was still a good person, just was following after some wrong things. Don't treat them like a heathen. Understand they just followed after some wrong stuff. Let's see what we can do to get in there and help them out. If you're going to be a peacemaker, and the Word uh, tells us we need a lot more peacemakers. We've got a whole lot of strife makers. We don't have a whole lot of peacemakers. We've got a lot of people get in there and they know how to stir things up. They know how to make things ugly. They know how to make things unpleasant for others. They make their issues the important ones and your issues aren't. They're bringing strife in. But if you're going to be a peacemaker, you've got to know how the Spirit is leading. And when the Spirit is leading you in a couple of areas. First off, the Spirit will lead you in what to address. What is it that needs to be addressed here? Is it the fact that he's sitting at another table? Or is it the fact you're trying to change their lifestyle? What is the issue? He didn't get sidetracked by the fact that the table sitting was there. He said, no, no, no. This is actually going on to the part where Jews are trying to change the lifestyle of Gentile people because they feel more comfortable that way. He'll tell you when to address it. He'll help you this out with your, with your kids, with your coworkers, with your boss, with the people in the neighborhood. He'll show you what to address. He'll show you when to address it. Then he'll tell you what to say. Because just because you know what to address and how to address it doesn't mean you know what to say. You could say completely the wrong thing. But you've got to say the right thing. And you've got to know who to say it to. Paul didn't address Barnabas. Paul didn't address any of the other Jewish people that were, that were there. He addressed Peter in front of them all. But he knew, no, Peter's the one I have to address. This is the one we got to take care of. All right, so we, we know the what, we know the who. You also got to know the difference between your own passions and God's. 
There's a whole lot of people out there, Christian people, who take what they're passionate about and say that God is passionate about these things when you can't even find it in the Word. Don't be doing that. Don't be passing off God's desires, God's passions, taking your desires and passing them off as God's. That's wrong. Don't attribute to God things that are not God's. That, that's a whole other level of sin right there. You don't want to get involved in that. If God said it, if God's passionate about it, then let people know that God's passionate about it. If you're passionate about it, well, I kind of think this is important, but it's not in the Word. Let people know it's not in the Word, but I kind of think this is important. I kind of Sometimes something is important for you. There are some things that are important for me in my life. I make sure that I stay and, and keep my, my behavior ordered in these areas. But that doesn't mean that I push it off on you. Especially if the Word of God hasn't, hasn't uh, directly addressed it. I feel God has led me this way. I feel God is telling me to do these things. But I can't push that off on you. God has to, has to do that. But there's other places in the Word where God says, no, this is my desire. And there'll be some people, God will give you the words. He'll tell you how to speak. He'll tell you what to say. And you'll need to go in there and you'll need to address it. We all, if we're going to address something, we'd much rather address it privately. But there are times you need to address it publicly. But sometimes there's no address that is needed. How many remember the story of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah? You all know, people know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But that's actually their Jewish names. The Word of God tells us that. just gives us their Babylonian names. We know them better. But they were peacemakers by addressing what was wrong by example. What was being used to coerce and harm, they exposed and removed. They didn't address the king. They didn't confront him. Just when the music played, they stood there. When the king addressed them, they said, hey, you can play the music again if you want to. We're not bowing. We're not doing it. They did it by their example. There are times that it's not an opportunity to speak to it. It's time to be the example. And they were certainly some people who did that. Gideon was one who confronted by example before he used his words. He jumped out there. God says, look, I want you to go down there and tear down the altar. Gave him some things to do, so he did it at nighttime so no one would see, and he didn't address a single person. Now later on, he got bolder, and he started to address some people. We've seen in our country some of the things that went on in the civil rights area was not done by addressing anyone. It was done by example. People said, no, we're going to, this is what is right, and they just did what was right. They didn't address anybody, didn't point fingers at anybody, just did what was right, and they brought about some change. If you're going to be a peacemaker, like I told you, the Word of God needs them. And Jesus says there's a whole lot of good blessings to come on peacemakers. If you want those blessings, there's a cost. You've got to get your emotions under control. You've got to make sure that your passions, the things you're going to stand for, are the passions of God. Then you've got to make sure that your words are the words of God and not your own. You've got to look for the right time. God, when am I supposed to address this? A good peacemaker is not one who spots every single problem and addresses it as soon as he sees it. Sometimes you need to let some things come to the surface. 
All right, well, we're going to address that, but it's not, they're not quite coming out and saying what it is that I know is inside, so we're going to let this brew a little bit. Jesus even did that with some people. Let this brew a little bit. Eventually, they're going to come out and they're going to say who they are and what they do. Then we can do it. And then we can address it. The way that is best, whether example or words or what words, the way that is best is the way the Spirit leads you, not the one that worked before. Remember David was going into battle and he addressed God, God, how shall I attack? And God said, attack this one. And they were successful. They were going into battle again. He comes to God and says, God, how shall we attack? Well, he didn't tell him to go the same way. He said, no, go this way. Do it this way instead. Just because something worked before doesn't mean God wants you to do it that way again. You've got to listen to him. No, for this situation, this is what I need you to do. You become a peacemaker. You can, you can help these things out. Now, don't, even if you're not going to be a peacemaker, keep your eye out in the strife. Don't bring strife in. Hopefully, if you get nothing else out of this, then this to, to take on home. The people that are the most involved in generating strife are the people who see only themselves. The more your world is taken up with your needs, what you want, what you should have, the more that is, the more strife that you will bring into every situation you go in. Every one. The more you can get that world expanded and to begin to look at other people, the less strife you will bring in. Not saying you eliminate it, but you bring out more. If you, if you don't. The more you are focused on yourself. Now you can see this is true. Take a look at some of the people that you know are strife makers. That if somebody talks about people in your life that bring in strife, I know who you mean. <laughs> you think of exa- this is the person you're talking about. This is the one. Oh, no matter what, as soon as they come on in. Now you think about it. Every time they're talking, every time they're opening their mouth, they're speaking about what? What I want, what I need, what you didn't do for me, what you should have done for me, what you're not doing for me. That's what it is. And the more that you are involved in that, the more you are involved in strife. In fact, folks, it is impossible, impossible to be focused on yourself and not bring strife everywhere you go. It's impossible. The people who bring peace are the people who put themselves at the bottom. God, what is it that you want? How can I serve you? How can I serve the people that you would like me to serve today? Remember Jesus' teaching? If you want to become the greatest in the kingdom, what do you do? Become the servant of all. The less focused you are on yourself, the less strife you will bring in to any situation. Get the focus off yourself. Learn how to walk into a situation and stop thinking about what I need. What can I do? What can I help with? We all know people. You have a a big gathering, people coming in. There are some people, when they come through the door, the first thing they say is, what can I do? What can I do? They, They want you to put them to work. Can I clean something? Can I cook something? Can I fix something? What can I do? And then there's other people, as soon as they come in, 
What do you have to eat? I'm thirsty. And you got to start taking care of their needs. Which are the ones that you look forward to coming through the door? It's real easy. You say we, we're gravitating to peacemakers. We love people that are bringing peace because I, I, I love peace. I don't like strife. But if you want to make sure that, you're, that you are out of the strife generating, you've got to get your view off yourself. And if you think, well, I've done that, I'm, I'm pretty good at that, keep in mind Paul's words. There was no one like-minded with me except Timothy. Everyone else has some degree of self-seeking. And look at the people he was rubbing shoulders, shoulders with. Barnabas, Peter, Titus, Silas. Those are some, those are some big names right there in the body of Christ. He's, Luke was in there. Look at the disciples that were, were in that group. John. He said, there's no one out there. Everyone's got at least a little bit of a degree. The degree to which you are self-seeking is the degree to which you will bring strife into your situations. And the degree to which you can eliminate yourself is the degree to which you will bring in peace. And it will directly correlate every situation you go into. Find a way. Become the peacemaker that God wants you to be. He wants us all to be peacemakers. But too often we all answer the call of strife maker. Because I have to protect myself. I've got to watch out for what I need. Because nobody else is helping me. Who was it? Benjamin Franklin who said, The Lord helps those who help themselves. I think that was him. <laughs> that is not in the Bible. I've heard some people try and quote it as if it was. It was not. It came from the mouth of Benjamin Franklin. And I don't know that I necessarily believe that. <laughs> Get yourself out. Get yourself focused on the kingdom of God. And you will find that you will bring peace into all the situations that you're at. And that people will look forward to your arrival. Oh, brother so-and-so is here. Sister so-and-so is here. Oh, so glad that they're here. So glad that they have, have been able to make it. You just feel more peaceful. You feel more at rest because they are here. Would you all stand up with me? Father, I thank you that you can make us the peacemakers that you desire that we be. Your goal is that your servants would bring peace, not strife. But the enemy is always stirring us up to see things from our point of view only. To see things as to how they benefit us. To see what we can get out of the situation and not what we can give. And by doing so, he gets all these little strife generators all around who just have to say, just have to interject who have to share their wisdom that they see but are not hearing from the Spirit of God. Thank you for the help that you give us this week to first off spot the times when we are generating strife, not peace, and show us how it is that we can change it. We want to follow after a different pattern. Go after a different way. And I thank you that we can do it. Give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. Well, glory to God. Good to have you here today. I mentioned to you a couple of things in the bulletin, but uh, next week we have our covered dish that's going on. So uh, make sure that you're, you're here for that one. And the video teaching is coming out. That'll be uh, out on Monday, back to normal, just some YouTube. Uh, Brother Creflo Dollar has some, as a part two on one that we watched a few weeks ago.